Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, not only for this podcast, but also for the ad space. And I'll tell you something, I'm really excited to bring you a very, very educational and entertaining broadcast. Um, but I gotta say, before we get to this guest who I think this is gonna resonate with you today, we gotta just recognize a couple of the sponsors that make this podcast totally possible. The first is Sig Sauer. If you guys don't know Sig Sauer, they are a world-class firearms company. They are based in New Hampshire. Uh, the website is www.sigsauer.com. They're the makers of a lot of very fine firearms. I know personally, I've owned a number of them over the years. And you know, currently you're gonna see Sig Sauer pistols in the hands of our military. You're gonna see their rifles being used by competitive shooters all around the world. You're going to see, um, actually, our guest today carried one for many years as a, as a state trooper. But I'll tell you, if you want to find some of the finest firearms, some of the firearms, finest firearms instruction, uh, go up to the Six Hour Academy. Uh, I grew up just about two and a half hours south of there. And I'll tell you, there's world-class instructors. There's an awesome pro shop where you're going to spend way too much money. Um, and they'll give you training in, in pistol, precision rifle, carbine, shotgun, even executive protection. Um, a lot of us here at Fieldcraft, we, we carry SIG pistols. You'll find a bunch of us carrying the 365 and fanny packs. And uh, my personal favorite SIG firearm is my MPX. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, some people have called it the uh, HK MP5 killer. And I don't know, it, it might be, it's pretty awesome. Mine's got a four and a half inch barrel, an SRD suppressor on it, a Midwest Industries four end, uh, an MRO, red dot, it's, it's incredible. So if you really wanna try out one of their pistols, go to the Six Hour Academy. You can borrow them in your training and I, I guarantee you're going to absolutely love the experience. Uh, personally, I know I'm gonna probably end up getting one of their MCX carbines. And if you're not familiar with that rifle, let's just put it this way. There's no buffer tube, it has a folding stock. You can fire multiple rounds when the stock is folded. It's not like the other popular folder that's out there where you get one shot and then you gotta, you all, I don't wanna get into it, but it's a fantastic firearm. I think you guys would be impressed if you had a chance to try it out. So please check them out, that's sigsour.com. Second sponsor that's gonna make this podcast totally possible, Black Rifle Coffee. The website is www.blackriflecoffee.com. We've got a lot of friends over at Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, my friend Dana Monroe, she started at Kafaru. She's now over at Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, Reagan, awesome, awesome gal. Evan, all the folks over there. I mean, you've got some really good folks over at Black Rifle Coffee. Um, they start back in November 2020. I visited them for the first time. I toured Black Rifle Coffee. I saw the roasters. I saw the t-shirt machines. I saw everything behind the scenes. Uh, it was pretty incredible. Uh, one of the coolest things when you go visit Black Rifle Coffee is they've got this floor that they, I think they call it like spilled coffee. And it's just a poured floor, but it looks like someone spilled coffee on the ground. Um, and one of the coolest things I'll tell you about Black Rifle, when I was there in 2020, I walked in and I saw Evan Hafer. He didn't know who I was from the next guy. And he just says to me, he goes, hey, you want a cup of coffee? Like, And he didn't know that I worked for Fieldcraft and I was meeting up with, with Mike uh, and with Julian and we were doing the tour. I'm like, sure, sure, yeah, I'll take a cup of coffee. And here's the owner, the president of, of Black Rifle Coffee making me a cup of coffee, right? Like, 
uh, it was just awesome. And he's like, how strong do you want it? And I was like, well, I like coffee pretty strong. And I swear to God, I could smell colors. Um, <laughs> it was, it was pretty nuts. And the guys over at black rifle coffee, they've got a lot of great products. Um, as I mentioned, I, that coffee is the strongest I've had to date, but I'm also a big fan of their instant coffee. I'm a big fan of their ready to drink stuff. I'm a big fan of, of all of their, their products. Uh, so if you guys use the code craft 15, that will get you a discount when you check out on their website. Again, blackriflecoffee.com. Okay, so we're going to get down to this podcast. Um, please give it a listen, and hopefully you will embrace some of the ideas that you're about to hear. Here we go. All right, guys, uh, this podcast today is one that I've been looking forward to. It's something that's been on my mind. And it's something that I think has been on a lot of people's minds. And maybe it's because we're at a point now where we have more questions than we have answers. You know, this, this is one of those podcasts. If you were to tell me five years ago, Hey, you're going to do a podcast with one of your buddies. I would have thought we would be talking about our hunting together or, you know, grilling meat in the backyard or, or something fun. You know, <laughs> um, he, he's over on the other side of the table, giving me the thumbs up. And I, and I wish we could make that the focus of this podcast, because quite honestly, like my buddy Dave, who you're about to meet, uh, and along with my buddy Joel, like we, we have a lot of fun uh, when I'm back in Connecticut, shooting in the backyard, grilling meat, doing all American stuff. But it seems like something that's part of America now more than ever are these school shootings. And I think what you're going to hear when you listen to what Dave has to say is that this is going to probably continue if we don't take action. And there are, there are so many people right now who are, are willing to throw their, their hat in the ring and say, this is what we have to do. This is what we have to do. But I was talking to Mike Glover and he's like, you need to podcast your buddy. And Dave just happens to be here in town. He's on a cross country road trip with his family. And it just makes sense that we talk about this now. So, um, I'll introduce him because he's generally very uh, reluctant to talk about his accolades, but former Army Ranger, retired state trooper, um, all around amazing guy, a phenomenal woodsman, and one of my, my very dear friends. So Dave, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> oh my God. Like I said, I wish we could talk about something else. So do I. So um, do I. But I think you have a very unique perspective about what is happening in America now, because let's go back to when we first met, because this is how I, I was like, damn, this guy saw some stuff, heard some stuff. He's been there. Um, 2019, June of 2019, I'm in Burlington, Connecticut. I'm at a book signing at the library. Uh, I do my little spiel about the book and all that. And you come up to me afterwards and you hand me a patch and you say, I'm a retired state trooper. And I, to paraphrase, you basically said, I wish more teachers thought like you. And we started talking and you're like, I responded to Sandy Hook. And for me, I was like, damn, uh, because as a teacher, I, I was working about 30 minutes or 25 minutes away from Sandy Hook. And that hit our school community hard mm -hmm. in Connecticut, but it hit your group of friends. It hit that community really hard. And you were there, you were talking to people. So I just kind of want to like get your take and let's just start off with a general question here. What's the problem with all these, the, like what's the problem with all these shootings now? Like why are they, why do they continue to happen? So 
the whole thing is not one thing. It's a everything is an ingredient to the recipe. The recipe is destruction. And we one of the things you can talk about, we, we can talk about is leadership. Small unit leadership, leadership at the law enforcement, and even leadership in your communities. It's all about leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. There's no doubt about that. The other thing is families, friends need to take responsibility of those individuals that have the red flags of mental health. They need to call and get people those help before it turns into something deadly. You know what's interesting? You bring up mental health, mm-hmm. and I believe that that's the root cause of, of all of this, right? I mean, a person who is mentally unstable will find a way to hurt themselves or hurt other people. It doesn't matter what tool they have. Mm-hmm. They have the intent. They're going to find right. a way. Yet people want to, or I should say society, the mainstream news wants to brush mental health aside because maybe it's not the easy fix, right? Like everyone rushes to ban guns, ban guns, ban guns. Well, that genie's out of the bottle. You're not getting private ownership of guns. I doubt there's any law enforcement in the country that would be willing to sign up right now to go door to door. But it seems like the easy answer and it seems like the quick fix that the politicians of the world want to say like, well, if we do this, it's going to be over. Um, How do we address that mental health problem? I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that? What you just said there is a conversation I had with somebody at Sandy Hook. A lady comes up to me, why, why, why? And before we got in, she heard the discussion about gun control and everything. I looked her dead in the eye and I says, ma'am, you want to fix the problem? It's not about guns because think of a dog running around in circles trying to catch its tail. You're not accomplishing anything. We can stop this today you change an individual's heart and get them help the ki- the the will to kill people is gone so that's what you need to do it's it is about mental health it is about fixing someone's heart when somebody is having all these ideas going in their minds and they have mental health issues they need the help and especially for the parents you know you you shouldn't have your child. Oh, I don't go into his room because that's that's a that's a uh, you know that's his privacy. No, no, you live under my roof. There is no Fourth Amendment right to search and seizure and all that stuff. You live in my house. I go through all your stuff. I want to know who you're talking to. I want to know what you're up to. Oh, man, you know something? I, uh, I I think about the red flags that came up with this most recent shooting in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I think about the red flags that came up with, I, I and I don't even like bringing up the, the shooters' names, mm. right? I'm not going to glorify it for no, the next person. But what are some of the red flags? Because you spent time in major crimes. Mm-hmm. What are some of the red flags that people should be aware of um, that maybe are, are common between both Texas and mm-hmm. Connecticut? When you're seeing people go totally in isolation, they have poor communication skills, they're always thinking, watching. They're that's that's a red flag right there in so many aspects of it. And to overcome that, you can get so much information talking to somebody by a simple hello. How they speak, 
eye contact, mm-hmm. all that stuff. You can get so much information off off of a simple hello. As far as so, isolation, real mm-hmm. quick, I, before we move too far past this, when you say they go into isolation, are you talking like physically they're moving and they're not going out in public? Or could this be like another isolation on like even social media, like they just go dark? You know, like what, what do you mean by isolation? So it's so many different... Isolation means they have secret rooms. They mm-hmm. have their their um, they withdraw within the community, and they're all by themselves. And they're mm-hmm. just they're they isolate themselves physically as well as mentally. So, and then aside from the isolation, mm-hmm. those other red flags. Yeah, the other red flags is they're collecting stuff. They're late night on the internet. They're doing all this stuff and, you know, they're spending a lot of money or they're acquiring or stealing uh, ammunition and that kind of stuff. They're stockpiling. Okay. So right there, that's that's a red flag right there. But it should never get to that point. Somebody should be getting the help they need and being addressed. And if you have a loved one in your home, they should have no access to guns. That's all. At all. You're talking about a loved one that has these red right. flags, that, right? That's actually living under your roof. Yeah. You need to get them help. Yeah. Professional I've always, help. I've always said, like, if you are brought up around firearms, the allure is no longer there. Right. You know, like, you might see it on TV. You might see, you know, a, a movie star carrying a firearm, and you might wonder and wonder if you're young, and mm-hmm. it's like, what is that like? Well, I've never really heard of a problem within my group of friends where someone who was brought up around firearms uh, ever really misused them. But right. I've heard of people who never got into firearms and then suddenly took an interest in them, then doing something stupid, either like a negligent discharge or or shooting in a place where they shouldn't be shooting. Um, but I feel like if you are brought up around firearms, there's less of an attraction to them because it's just part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but for someone who, yeah, for someone who shouldn't be trusted with the liquor cabinet, mm-hmm. trusted with the medicine cabinet, correct? you might want to not want to trust them with the gun cabinet. Right, either, you know? right, absolutely. And even too, growing up, and as um, I just dawned on to me, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of high schools around me that had shooting teams. And I remember leaving my high school guys. I had friends that went to Bristol Central. Yep. Right after school, I would go down to their school, meet with the uh, Bristol Central shooting team and yeah. his coach, and we'd be in the parking lot with all our twenty-two rifles. Yeah. And there was so much respect, and no one would ever think about doing something stupid because you didn't do that. Yeah. Everyone was taught the right way. And then we'd march or we'd go down to uh, the shooting range and we and we get instructions on our 22s and everything. And there was never a problem. Yeah. There was never a problem. So I, I went to Bristol Central High School and I'll tell you that uh, there was a shooting alley in the basement for yep. 22s. And they had little targets that were on wheels that would get pushed out to the uh, to the distance that they would shoot. The teacher that actually ran that is the teacher that I eventually took their place Um Hmm. After Columbine, they got rid of that, but they also got rid of the archery program right. that they used to go out and shoot uh, bow and arrow in the in the back. So things have changed a bit, but you're right. No one cared. In high school, I remember vividly uh, going with my friends uh, pheasant hunting 
after high school. And it was totally legal for me to have a junior hunting license, have a shotgun, mm-hmm. you know, that was the way it was. Now, if depending on who you are as a student and, and who's what teacher you have, if you were to tell your teacher, hey, I'm going to go use a shotgun later for hunting, you might get expelled, right. you know, for bringing up guns. So it's there's a cultural change that's happened in the past uh, 25 years. Um, so we, we're talking prevention of this type of event, right? School mm-hmm. shooting event. And obviously prevention, I believe, and I think you believe too, it starts at home. But what about the schools? Um, let's talk about the access that we talked about over breakfast this morning. How do you stop it from getting in the door? So teachers who are professionals need to just concentrate on teaching. The best method to stop it at the door or even at the parking lot, depending on how, you know, how much good security you have. So the best thing, and it also helps police officers as they go to the next chapter of their lives after they're retired, having retired police officers being door monitors and being basically professional Walmart greeters because you're taking someone of a skill set for two, two and a half decades, maybe even three decades, who is applying their skills on reading people, knowing people. And that's the best way to do it. What's the the counter for when people say, yeah, but so-and-so pushed their way past the security guard? Uh, is there another way to look at it? I mean, following that same idea of, of having like a school resource officer, mm-hmm. armed school resource officer right. or multiple. I mean, what about for the naysayers out there that are like, well, this guy had a rifle and the security guard couldn't do anything. So every second counts. So when the professionals, they're going to see the red flags, they're automatically going to call their department or the troop and say, hey, start sending the cavalry. Something's up with this guy. Every second counts. So now you're, you turn the, turn the tide that time is now on your side, knowing that, yeah, I'm secured. The building's already secured. I got it locked down. Now I'm approaching the individual. Now you have the retired officer who's also armed. Now, as you, as a, as the issue uh, situation occurs in the parking lot, now the cops are, are already on on top of them. So now you already stopped it. It's because a good police officer when he when they come, a retired officer he already knows in that community who the players are. He knows who the good good guys are, the bad guys, and people who are questioned. Mm-hmm. So, so um, yeah. I think that's the uh, that's the best thing to do. And you and you let off with the idea of you know teachers need to focus on teaching, and, right? And I agree. And I'll tell you, in Utah, there are uh, some schools that allow teachers to carry. You right. know, and I, I've had people say to me, "Yeah, but not all teachers should have guns." And I and I say, you know, you're spot on. Mm-hmm. Just like not all people should have guns who want to say that they're an air marshal. You know what I mean? Like you need to have a qualification course if this is the the route that society decides to take. And it needs to be very strict. It needs to not just be a qualification, but a true standard because I've seen some qualifications and I've shot some qualifications and I would say they're not difficult to pass. But if you're dealing with very, very sensitive, uh, you know, 
sensitive uh, material students around you, you don't want to, you don't want to be errant with your, your aim. So I think if there ever were, if we ever were to entertain this idea of letting select teachers that have training carry firearms, let's say this right away. There's no such thing as a open carry teacher. That is just stupid. Right. I mean, no tactical advantage for carrying a firearm open unless you're a cop and then you have more speed on your side, but people expect cops to be armed. A teacher, their best defense is no one knows which teacher has the training and it should be treated like the air marshal program where you wouldn't know that that teacher is armed unless there is a true threat. Um, so I love it when people will say, you know, arm all teachers. It's like, there are certain teachers I definitely would not like, I, I don't picture them ever going to the range, keeping up with their proficiency. I don't like that idea, but if a teacher volunteered, if a teacher said, Hey, I will pay out of pocket to go and train and I will take a test and I will put on the line that if I don't pass the test, I won't carry. But if I do pass the test and I do go through the, the simulations, the force on force training, the, the scenarios, shoot, no shoot training, uh, then give me the opportunity to defend my kids, you know? Um, so I, that's, that's my take on the, the whole teacher thing, but I love the idea of armed security. We had a school resource officer. We still do, um, back at my old high school and not only, and this goes back to your first point, not only is that school resource officer there for when bad things show up, but there are some kids that had never had a positive interaction with a cop. Mm -hmm. And here's a school resource officer that says, oh, you don't have lunch money today? Don't, don't worry, I got you. And I know my buddy, you know, Officer George, he uh, he did that countless times. And I was like, damn, George, like huge heart. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that little bit of heart of a, of a school resource officer, I know that that saved lives in the past. Kids that wanted to commit suicide. Well, what's stopping a kid who wants to commit suicide from taking other lives with them first, you know? So uh, I think, again, security at the door, having interaction with these kids, letting them know that they they belong. And as, as you mentioned, just staying vigilant with, with who these kids are and, and looking for those red flags. Mm -hmm. What, can you take us back just for a moment on your Sandy Hook experience? Like some of the things that people might not be aware of that happened. I mean, we know it was a terrible day. We know that you know, multiple kids died, teachers died. We know that, you know, you can't, you can't say, uh, Sandy hook without picturing those images of those kids, you know, but your experience that day, cause I mean, you were on the scene and we talked yesterday and I couldn't believe some of the details that you left out or I said the story that are left out of the story. And, and obviously there are other details we're not going to mention just for mm -hmm. sheer privacy and out of respect, but some things that the public should know that weren't told because they were overshadowed by the gravity of everything else that happened. Like, what are some of the things that you encountered? What do you recall from that day? Well, so many, I mean, I mean, you have this, just this gut feeling in your heart that these parents, friends and families lost the most treasured gift that God can give them. It, it was just horrible. But um, as people see all these active shooters that are happening, when it happens in the community and the local law enforcement responds, 
people need to also reflect these are innocent lives that need to be protected. The protectors going in there, a lot of them, they're, you know, some of them might have their own children in there. Mm -hmm. So tactically in their mind, train, train, train. But when it's your son or your daughter in there, you're at a completely different level. So people need to also understand, you know, it is a panic. It is everybody going. They are trained professionals. They're doing the right thing. But let's not forget the so many aspects of it is that these folks have their kids in this community as well. So. So, I mean, you've got cops that have kids there. Mm -hmm. What about the parents that show up and they want to gain access to the building? So that's, that's the other thing where you're trying to isolate that situation as fast as possible, take out the shooter as fast as possible. The last thing you need is a parent to rush into that school and not find their child alive. Because now you're going to take resources of more cops, more firemen, more paramedics trying to control that parent. And so what, that's why you you need to keep let the professionals do their job. The less people you put in there, the faster they can get and isolate the problem. One of the things that we talked about just this morning was the idea of controlling information mm -hmm. and the dangers of putting out information too quickly, as well as the dangers of putting out too many details regarding the shooting because there's almost like a new handbook that's being written with each one of these these shootings and it seems like the formula is the same in terms of how these shooters are learning from the exposure of the others what's your take on the way that it's being reported so everybody wants to know the big w why why did this what's going on tell us more chief tell us this or colonel or whatever everybody needs to just Take a deep breath. Uh, cherish the times with your loved ones right now. Pray for the people that were lost and everything. But let the investigators do their job because every body camera, every angle, every security camera is going to be looked at. It's going to be documented. Even cameras outside the school, gas stations, everything. Everybody wants to know where the guy came from, where this, did he drive a car? Was anybody else with him? You know, all these things, everybody needs to wait until the investigation is complete because the other thing that people don't talk about is the copycats. Every time you have an incident like this, there's the fear of some mentally deranged individual sitting in the basement watching the same news conference that we're all watching and he's planning the next attack. And he's now trying to learn the lessons, the lessons learned, the, the positives as well as the negatives on how he can do that. Because these shooters have one objective, is to kill and to get that body count as high as possible, quickly as possible, because they want to top the last guy. From the teacher's perspective, mm -hmm. I know that we were trained that you have to you know, consider 
uh, like either two strategies, right? The two dominant strategies in America right now are shelter in place, which I don't agree with. I don't agree with if you're by a door and you're shooting on the other side of the school, you don't stop right there. Uh, if I'm a kid, right from like, say like a teenage perspective and I see something bad happening at the end of the hall, I'm getting as far away from it as possible. <clears throat> and I'll take the chance personally running across the football field, hoping that that person's on a good shot. Right. Um, and I, I'm not going to advise that for anyone else. That's a decision you'll have to make on your own. And it's something that you'll have to talk about with your kids. But I would rather take the chance of being suspended for leaving school grounds than not being able to, you know, hug my family again. Right. Um, so shelter in place, that was one strategy. Then it was run, hide, fight, right? And it was the idea that you run to a location, you hide in place, and if that person breaches that door, you fight. For a long time, they were saying, well, what are you gonna put in front of the door? You know, And as a teacher, you need to ask certain questions. Like, does your door open in? Does your door open out? Does your door have windows in it that someone could uh, burst through? puncture, uh, puncture, break, open the handle and open the door and gain access to your classroom. Uh, is there a way for people to see inside of your classroom from the hallway? And where are the blind spots in your classroom? Because if you can see it, so can uh, a bullet can fly that line of sight and, and injure someone in your classroom. What do you have that you could throw at someone at your door? What do you have that you could reinforce your door with? Um, is going out the window an option? What are, your, what are your thoughts, Dave, on uh, ground floor windows in schools? Like everyone says, hey, we uh, have the ability to secure football stadiums, banks. We can't secure schools. I know for a long time, schools wanted to be like very welcoming, lots of glass, mm -hmm. you know, showing the outside world and being a, a pleasant environment. Are, are we past that point of making schools look like that? And do we need to structurally redesign them or? Um, yes and no. And what I mean by that is we should never take a building of education and turn it into the Department of Corrections. When you have canines, metal detectors, kids are have to go through all this stuff, you're already lost. You're yeah. already lost. Now they're feeling that they're not going into a building to be educated they're going into the Department of Corrections. And, and you can't have a young person feel that way because now you, you've taken their innocence away. Yeah. You really have. So there, there can't be a blanket policy on that, that every school needs to have that because the school in Chicago is going to be different than the schools in Maine or Connecticut or florida or california because each individual environment is different because you you can have a a school in the northwest corner of connecticut that's very rural it's a farming community that school is going to be set up than a school in the inner cities so so it's it's it just comes down to just having professionals in the front door and let them do because, like I said before, these guys know who the players are in town. And the other thing, they're going to see, hey, the guy just pulled in the driveway. He doesn't have any kids here. Notify the police. Lock the doors. You already took levels of protection to isolate the situation. 
Now all of a sudden he comes out of the van with a rifle, game's on. Mm-hmm. But you already got the cavalry showing up. So and it'll be harder for him to breach into the building because time is on the cop's side. One of the things that, you know, I, I agree with you in part. And then part of me also says like, there are things that we could put in place that are security that, that don't look like security, you know, like having, uh, uh, what are they called? The, the bulwarts, the, the stalwarts, the, the posts that are grow up on the ground to, prevent, Oh yes. You know, prevent vehicles from driving too mm-hmm. close. Those need to be where cafeterias are, you know, right. where, where you have this big open area where a person could drive up with a vehicle, potentially drive through windows, you know, drive through doors. I love the idea of security corridors, you know, like there's two doors that you have to walk through and they're in the same hallway. And if you don't pass, say the security checkpoint with the greeter, you don't have your name badge, like you've got a, you're not gaining entrance into the second door, you know, and that builds in that space, that, that distance, that's going to be your friend. Um, I think one of the problems that we have with a lot of schools that are out there, I mean, some of the schools in Connecticut are 2200 for the size like Mm -hmm. double l size schools they don't just have one door you know there's multiple doors multiple entrances and many times what kids will do is they'll prop the door open they'll go out football field smoke Mm -hmm. a cigarette or go out in the football field you know meet up with their girlfriend boyfriend whatever and that door is now an easy access point right you know and there are hall monitors Mm -hmm. paraprofessionals that check these doors but there's really no penalty or there's no follow through with the penalty. It almost has to be like, there will be only one entrance and one exit. You know what I mean? Like, oh, absolutely. but that's a policy change that has to happen. Um, I think kids know where these, these weak points are in the building. And when they graduate, they could come back. It's not like that information has gone anywhere. Um, what else could we do though, to, to secure the schools? Like, would we, I mean, you mentioned that the schools in, in Maine are different than those in the inner city and based on budget, schools are going to look different. I mean, you're driving across country. I know Alabama is mm. dollar for dollar, not exactly one of the, uh, the best states for spending money on their kids, mm. but for a low budget school, what are some low budget options to, I mean, aside from the greeter to make things safer or to give the kids a fighting chance to survive until the, the police show up? Mm-hmm. Do you have any options? I mean, the cheap way, I mean, if you don't have the police officer or whatever, you should have somebody designated to just watch the security cameras from the outside. And the other thing too, if you don't have anything, go to go to one of these outdoor places and buy bear spray. Because even if the guy's all in body armor, and you happen to spray him because it's good to for the bear spray. You can go up to 30, 35 feet, whatever. If he gets something in his eyes to, to stop him a little bit, somebody is going to be able to bring him to the ground, hopefully. And as I mean, it's just like what, like 40 bucks for bear spray or whatever. But at least it's something. If right. they don't have anything, at least have something. The, the teachers unions I know would say, Teachers are paid to be teachers. They're mm-hmm. not paid to be security guards, right. police and whatnot. Right. Flip side of the coin, I know that there are teachers out there that are offended when they see a police officer walking through the building because they're like, you don't bring a gun into a building. And it's like, come on. you know. So 
It's great that you brought that up. So I went from patrol, major crime, back to patrol, back to major crime. And um, and when I went back and to patrol, um, I never got that from teachers because I would actually do a patrol check, mm-hmm. stop at my elementary schools, tell the troop where I'm at, go inside the school, talk to security, talk to the, the ladies in the office, and I would walk around that building because I would know the outline of this in case if anything went bad. If anything went south, I already know the outline. I know where the cafeteria is. I know where, you know, the English department is. I know where the special ed department is. I know where the gymnasium, you know, everything like that. And all the teachers, whether they were conservative, liberals, always came up to me and says, hey, thank you for doing that. Yeah. And the kids love it. The kids absolutely love it. And I happen to sometimes you go there when they're changing and stuff like that. They'll give you high fives and all that stuff. Hey, how you doing? And it's cops who have patrols, who have a school in their building need to do that. Because the other thing, it goes back to the old policing, omnipresence. So now if somebody is watching that school, they're like, damn, this guy spontaneously just shows up and just starts walking around. So now... For the cops to do that, you might put a seed in someone's mind. You better think twice about this building. Yeah, I know. So now you're you're taking it to a soft target to maybe a, a harder target now. I know uh, some of the, the local departments back home made it one of their SOPs that if a cop needed a break while on a road mm-hmm. job or whatever, you instead of going to like a department store right. parking lot, you're parking in a school. Right. You know, and it just makes sense, right? Like in... I mean, you're pulling a resource from a parking lot that is going to see thousands and thousands of cars doing retail business, put it in a school and yep. again, give someone that, right. that moment of pause, like, oh crap, the cops yep. could be there mm-hmm. and they're, what's the chance, you right. know? Um, and to go back to, mm-hmm. to um, those schools that don't have the money, what um, I suggested to our, uh, one of our elementary schools was have a satellite office for the police. So yes. even though you can't afford the cop, it's kind of like that mentor. It's it's kind of like bears. You keep feeding bears, they're going to keep showing up in your backyard. So if you give the officers in a nice little satellite office, it doesn't mean you bringing in suspects in here and right. interviewing. No, no, no. This is for doing your reports and stuff like that. It's all about community-based policing. So when you have an office like this and – I guarantee the PTA will have like coffee and stuff for them. And hey, how you doing? And it's a great way for police to get intel because they're not always going to call. Maybe I should call. Maybe I shouldn't. Now, hey, I see Bob or Frank, you know, in his office. Hey, do you mind? Can I talk to you for a second? And boom, they're giving you information because that information might be that little piece to the puzzle that there's a big case going on. And it's like, you just link them both together. That's your suspect. So, And that idea has been, I know that they did that at my old high school where they had like a break room. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, if you need to get 10 minutes to yourself, right. come up here. There'll be bottles of water, right. granola bar, stuff like that. And, and again, it doesn't cost much just to welcome someone in that could be a valuable asset in mm-hmm. an emergency. Something that we, we talked about yesterday, and I think this needs to be brought up, is the level of training that's out there for educational staff, administration, 
police in buildings is substandard. Uh, there was a local school that wanted to have a, a police officer shoot blanks. They might even have been uh, just primer loads going through the hallway so the teachers could hear what gunfire sounds like. Because in a huge school, you don't know if it's a gunfire. You don't know if a desk fell over. You don't know what a loud noise sounds like until you hear it. And a lot of the teachers were like, you're not going to do that. You're not going to shoot guns in the school right. thinking like there was going to be a projectile. And it was like, no, 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 we're doing it just to, or it's being done just to, to help you become aware of what it sounds like. Um, what do you recommend as far as training is concerned to level up the entire community? Because you as, as well as I know, in an emergency, you're not going to rise. You're going to fall back to your lowest level of training. And mm -hmm. right now, most schools, their level of active shooter training is close the door, close your blinds, turn the lights off, or, uh, hey, it's an external threat, close your blinds, keep teaching. You know, like it's very minimal. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's anything extensive. And all it takes is for one of these kids to pay attention to the way that things are being trained while they're in the building. What do you recommend for the education staff, the administration, police, all working in conjunction as far as like a training scenario or evolution mm -hmm. or whatever? I, I think that the every school needs a case-by-case -case mm -hmm. basis on, on their, their uh, SOPs on how they're going to overcome that. But it needs to be, it's kind of like national regulations every school bus in the u.s is yellow it has red lights it's this and that that should be the same thing when it comes to security for the schools just like realistically every year they have every school has to have so many fire drills it's a concrete brick building and you're having fire drills today's day and age has changed the more chances of a bad guy showing up with a firearm trying to kill people is higher than the fire drill. Not putting the fire drills aren't important, but if you need to have these drills as much. So you need to have the local, uh, the local law enforcement come with the teachers and says, and come up with uh, scenarios. How would you guys like to be trained? What do you think we should do? Because, because you can't have that hide in place because there's some school buildings that have an exit door right in the classroom. Mm -hmm. How about, and you're right next to it, the wood line. How about your job is to egress, get them outside that door, go into the woods and just like, hey, when there's a fire, we all rally at the big rock or whatever. Right. So now the guy's going into classrooms and they're all empty and there's nobody hiding in wall lockers and in rafters and all that stuff. So sometimes, and you can't make that policy until you know that classroom. So when you know the classroom and everything's set up, then you need to contour it to the needs of that school and the teachers. Something that I wanna, I wanna talk about is years ago, there was one school shooting where the shooter pulled the fire alarm right. and then got Get everybody out outside in yep. a concentrated area. Um, something that, I, that really, really hit home with me was, uh, I think it was Colonel Grossman. Yes. Right. And he said, think about what schools' responses are to like a bomb threat. 
One year when I was a teacher, I believe we had 11 bomb threats and we had to constantly do the same thing. Mm -hmm. All go to the football field, all this and that. And it really, it really was eye-opening because I had a friend who, who spent some time in the military and demolitions. And he's like, you should be very careful with the radios that you're using to communicating because you might actually set something off in the process, right? right? Um, but Grossman, getting back to him, he said, think about how messed up our bomb threat possibility or our bomb threat protocol is. If a kid brings a bomb into a building, it's probably about the size of a backpack mm -hmm. at the most, unless you somehow could be a kid that wheels in something on a cart right. to do the most damage. But even then, someone's going to be like, what is that? But if you bring everyone to an area past a vehicle that could be loaded with something explosive, now you have a greater danger. And something that needs to be part of our discussion is this idea that you might have a plan, but you need to have a shift plan. You need to have a secondary rally point. You need to have a plan for if, if there's not just one, there's two. We don't even have that. I don't believe that most of the schools that are out there are like, hey, if this happens, you go here. And if this happens, you go there. Or if there is that plan, it's not known to all the staff. It might be known to administration, but mm -hmm. it's not filtered through the staff. And I think that's a problem that you need to all be on the same page. You need to all be working from the same sheet of music or else there's going to be chaos. Um, going back to Sandy Hook for you, did you notice any other types of chaos or any other types of confusion? And what are some ways, if you did notice it, what are some ways to kind of alleviate that confusion or, or mitigate that confusion in the midst of chaos? Hmm. I think it, a lot of it falls back on the small unit leadership because command staff, everything like that, no one's going to be there at, the, at that moment time. It's just good people making solid decisions. And the only way you can do that is through training. One senior sergeant once told me young in my career, police work costs money. Real good police work, better police work costs a lot more money. It's kind of like me and you sitting down at a restaurant. You want peanut butter and jelly? You're going to pay the bill for peanut butter and jelly. You want a sirloin steak? You're going to pay the money for sirloin steak. I hate to say it, but I'll, this is going to come down to money. It's yeah. how much money you want to put into it. How much effort, time and effort and money you want to put into it. The question is, how much is kids' lives worth to you? Mm -hmm. And another senior trooper told me at Sandy Hook, in our line of work, in law enforcement, if we were bankers, we lost money, it's a bad day. Okay, over time, we can make that money back. In law enforcement, first responders, you have a bad day, people die. You're not, they're not coming back. So at the end of the day, you know, we need to, as citizens, demand politicians to put their money where the mouth is and to stop this from happening. Like we talked this morning, mm. you know, about the recent incident. Let's not talk about that until the investigation is complete. But that one golden moment of the W, why? Why was that individual able to walk into that building? That should have never happened in a public, private school, whether they're, you know, a very wealthy community or very poor community. This is America. That should not happen at all. So that, it really was the access. 
Yeah, that, that's how he got into the building, to start his killing. These people are on a killing mission. They will kill human lives. They don't care if it's a child or a teacher. He knows his time is up. I got X amount of minutes, seconds, whatever. So, and if you don't have anything, if you're going to go down, fight, do something, because these shooters are cowards. The first person that hits them in the nose or in the face or in the knees or the groin, they're going to drop to their knees and cry because they've never been hit before. They're, these are not trained professionals. These are cold-blooded killers. And the only thing that's going to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good person with a gun. Yeah. Something that I, I always bring up whenever I have a discussion about school shooters People are like, oh, this is terrible. It's the worst day ever. I'm like, yeah, it's it's very bad, but it could always be worse. Yes. And I think back to the Beslan school massacre, oh which right now, if you guys have been paying attention to the events, it follows a formula. Lone gunman. I mean, Columbine was two, mm -hmm. right? Harrison Klebold. That could have been worse if the bombs were detonated. Correct. Right. And and those those kids were were. Wow. I mean, they, they did their research. I think you mm -hmm. said it yesterday. They had PhDs in, in killing. Um, yeah. If the parents did their job, that probably never would have happened. Now, Beslin was a totally different scenario that I, I'm fearful if that type of thing ever happens here, because that wasn't just one or two. That was multiple uh, assaulters on a school, bombs, uh, you know, kids being held uh, at, you know, holding pressure devices for explosives. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was terrifying and hundreds died. Um, we're not ready for that because we're, we're, we're again, chasing our tail. Right. I know some security measures that are out there and these are worth considering, um, you know, because if this pattern does follow, then maybe these will work. We're not going to have answers to everything, but we need to have answers to as much as we can with what we have. I know one of the security measures is the company 3M, the tape company, has a film that mm -hmm. goes on windows. So windows can't just quickly become doors. That tape looks like there's no protectant on the window, but you try breaking it with a sledgehammer and you can't go in, right? It slows down your entrance. There are companies that create bulletproof backpacks, or I should say, uh, level 3A body armor backpacks, it's not gonna stop a rifle round. But if you have someone who's armed with a pistol, it will stop that. There are companies that produce deadbolts and different hardware that you can use uh, on your door, whether your door swings out or pushes in. And you could be a five-year-old kid and learn how to throw that thing quickly in place if the teacher were to be out of the room. Right, teachers going to the bathroom. Teacher is out in the hall talking to someone. Uh, you know, maybe in the room next door, and something bad's happening. Number one, as a teacher, you shouldn't be leaving your class unattended. But you can teach your kids, every one of your kids. This is how you throw the deadbolt on. Um, what other options are there that you've seen? So we talked about uh, backpacks, door locks, window treatments. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the bear spray as uh, like a a tool for the person at the door. Mm -hmm. um, what else is out there? Well, and also too, it depends, especially the uh, the schools. If you have, it's, oh no, oh, 
hard to describe it, but when you have a door that comes into the classroom, but the mechanism, that big bar is on top that right. allows it. Mm-hmm. If you take a, a fireman hose, like a two inch hose and cut like 12 inches off of it and slide it right down there, that prevents that door from, from opening. So that can be a quick, easy, feel expedient way to stop the door or the, um, the uh, door stops mm-hmm. having the big, thick rubber ones. Because you see a lot of firemen who are breachers who have those door stops right on their helmets and stuff. A lot of times teachers, if you know the shooter's down in that direction, you want to stop and just take a door stop on the other side. Now it's preventing or slowing them down because what you want to do is you want to get time on your side. Let's assume that you are a teacher that can carry. Mm -hmm. Or let's say that you're a parent that's in the parking lot. Right. And you can carry and it's totally legal. Let's say that that teacher, parent, armed citizen, responsibly armed citizen takes matters into their own hand, stops the threat. How does that armed responsible citizen not get shot when the cops show up? Common sense. Common sense. If you happen to take out the shooter... Do not wave that gun around because these cops are coming in and they're coming in hot. They already know there's an active shooter. They're coming in. They don't get the intel, whether it's one shooter, two shooters. They are screaming, coming in hot. They don't know what they're coming into. They can have the shooter on the ground, cops thinking the, the person that just shot them is trying to shoot another person and start waving the gun around, there's a good chance that person's going to get shot. So the best thing to do is to holster that weapon, keep your hands in the air, explain to the officer who you are, what just happened, you know. And also, too, until the cops arrive, you also don't know how many shooters there are. There could be other people lying in wait. So don't just go reholster that weapon because there might be his buddies coming around the corner. So you have to have common sense, common sense. Holster that when the cops show up and you don't know it's going to be a uniform cop. It could be an undercover officer just got the call and he happened to be closer and he's coming screaming up, you know, has the beard and tattoos and, you know, and has his, you know, badge on his, you know, in front of them, you have to do not point that gun at anybody. Just holster it. Let the officer know, hey, this what this is what just happened. Does it make sense in that moment to relay with like a phone call to nine one one? Like, hey, I'm wearing a, a gray sweatshirt. Correct. Yeah. So when you dial nine one one, do not get off that phone with that dispatcher because you're going to give play by play to the dispatcher to the officers responding, and tell them exactly. Now they can say, hey, concerned citizen just took out the shooter. He's wearing, you know, a flannel shirt, blue jeans, you know, whatever description who, who you are. Now they're getting more. Do not get off that phone with that dispatcher until the officers arrive. All right, dispatcher, your officer just arrived. Can I get off? Yep. I'm relaying that information to the So you got direct line communication going on. So nobody's getting hurt. One of the things that we did at the high school, uh, because we we knew that 
you know, we didn't have adequate supplies for a school shooting. Mm. We did a community sourced fundraiser where it was through a program called Donors Choose. And if there's anyone out there that's listening that wants to know more details, please email me and I'll be happy to walk you through the process of doing one of these. But we were able to fund tourniquets, hemostatic gauze, uh, flashlights, door stops. Like we had, a, we basically made an active shooter kit that I put it out on social media and in 36 hours, uh, it was fully funded. Next thing you know, a box shows up, we've got tourniquets and we've got all, all this gear. Even then with dozens of brand new cat seven tourniquets and, and, uh, blood stop gauze, we didn't have enough. You think about it. I think in the most recent shooting, they said that within the first few minutes, he fired almost a hundred rounds. Now, if every one of those connected to say an extremity, how many tourniquets do you need? Um, you almost have to ask yourself, how much are you willing to invest again, coming down to money to prepare your school in case all of these options, right? Prevention in the parking lot, intervention at the door, uh, again, intervention in the hallway, deterrence by locking the door. Let's say all of them fail. And now you're in response mode. Do you have a recommendation, Dave, like what the average school should have as far as like, this is what we can do. This is what we can use until help arrives. Cause I think even when help arrives, ambulances aren't loaded with hundreds of tourniquets. Mm -hmm. So is that something like on the community level, you have one kit that like in the worst case scenario, you show up and there's hundreds of tools or like, what's your take mm -hmm. on that? So that's where prepping the local uh, police should be working with the school. What, why can't the SWAT team or tactical team have a designated uh, wall locker or something and already have certain equipment already staged there. I mean, what perfect thing. This is already your battlefield, so why not critique it and, and, and put it to your advantage? Have a designated wall locker. This is where all our extra stuff goes. This is where extra X, Y, and Z. Now a teacher's thing is all over here. More medical stuff. It's already, it's already staged. It's already ready to go. So... That, that's why proper planning, lack of planning is a plan to fail. So, mm -hmm. so the biggest thing is planning and think outside the box. You have to contour that school building to your needs. So if you, you're thinking medical, why not already have a designated thing that's already there, that there's a special code that the police know to get in there and the kids don't know about it. Something that we talked <clears throat> about last night at dinner uh, or I should say uh, yesterday at breakfast, was uh, the idea that many schools have multiple stairwells, mm -hmm. multiple doors. And when you ask a teacher to say like, okay, what door did they leave? They'll say, oh, back of the building. Well, back of the building might not be well known as cardinal directions for law enforcement. So you almost have to create like a standardized language that you speak in when you're relaying information. Mm -hmm. And that's as simple as putting like cardinal direction, like a giant letter E or a giant letter W on certain doors and walls. So you start knowing like, oh, when I walk around the science wing and I look at that door, there's an N. I'm facing the north of the building, right? The north side of the building. Because 
you don't want to have that confusion in language between the people calling the dispatcher, the police on the scene. Well, did they say North side? Is that one of the things that was, is very common. You'll see teachers, they'll take their door number and they'll put it on the exterior of their window. So if you're looking at the building and you look at all the windows, it'll say like, Oh, room 214, 213, 212, you know, and that way, if you're arriving on that scene as law enforcement, you know, like, Oh, okay. Happened in room 214. There's room 214 right up there. Um, again, it just comes down to having almost like a, like a strategy, like a, like a planning meeting mm-hmm. of just let's talk worst case scenario. How would we respond? Let's find our weak points. Let's work towards strengthening it up. But here's the reality. As much as we're talking about this now, the, the board of ed local politicians are just as much at fault because they might want teachers to learn how to use a certain new technology for like online learning, or they might want them to do diversity training. And, and listen, all of it is important, but you've got to chip away time for this type of training. You Mm -hmm. can't just say, let's hope it doesn't happen here. Um, uh, it's not an easy thing to, to tackle. Um, but what are your thoughts? Like final thoughts? I mean, we've been talking for a while. Mm -hmm. What are your final thoughts? Like just speak freely about what recently happened, Mm -hmm. what you've experienced, thoughts about the next time. I mean, like if you could talk directly to someone that could affect change, what would you, what would you tell them? They, there are so many aspects to fix. One is communications, um, especially find out with your department. Um, I know a lot of departments have radio communication problems. You go into a building, most uh, heavy fortified, like a school, where the metal and everything, once you walk through the door, your radio doesn't work. There needs to be repeaters because good communication works. The other aspect of it, one of the things that I wear as a badge of honor that I was a member of STOPS. It's called State Troopers Offering Peer Support. A lot of chiefs and colonels throughout the nation needs to have this program. It allows police officers and troopers to be peer supports for their fellow brothers and sisters. So I'm allowed to communicate with somebody who comes up to me and they can tell me anything they want. Knowingly, I cannot be ordered to say what we talked about. On the same level, I'm also a mandated reporter. So if it comes to Mm -hmm. a level where that person really needs help, but the thing about as a peer support, at my fingertips, phone calls, I can get mental health uh, access that, you know, it would take somebody a lot longer to get. I can get it immediately. And we can help that because the thing about it is that the great men and women who responded to Sandy Hook are going to their graves later in life with the worst things that they've seen and did there. So by helping each other communicate to get through that, because going through bad times, it's not, you're going to go through that bad time and stay there for the rest of your life. You're going to go through there. You're going to go through it. And with good um, communications and good camaraderie and, and having people you can count on to get you through that is the best thing because people forget, you know, this is something that 
also for the parents as well that went through this. They need good counseling. They need to know this, you know, and, and, you know, to look at it since the beginning of time, you know, people have killed innocent people. Mm-hmm. There's nothing has changed. This is not about every time someone, t- it, it just makes me so angry when everybody talks about guns and gun control. Again, you're the dog running in circles trying to get your tail. You're not going to fix it. Change the person's heart, identifying that person and getting that individual help. Not saying that if someone has mental health issues, they're a criminal. No, until it comes to the line where they cross the line of criminal intent, they, you know, they need that help. They need to be fixed. So the biggest thing is those red flags, you know, those red flags, those have to be called upon. When you see somebody with, with those signs of isolation and doing all these things, even, even not as an active shooter, but as a law enforcement brother or sister, you're seeing your, your fellow comrade who is, is just, isolating themselves, self-medicating themselves with drugs and alcohol. And let's not forget that today's day and age law enforcement officers, majority of them are veterans. They've been overseas. They've been there. They've done that, you know. So they have a lot on their plate that they're, they're trying to work out. And on top of it, society needs to back off on police and start supporting them and giving them training because all the things that led up to this, everything about defunding police, defunding them. Now that individual is not going to be all motivated going into a situation knowing, wait a minute, last thing I want to do is shoot somebody because now everybody's going to want to arrest me, you know? So people need to give them their space and they need to give them their money and demand professionalism, um, great leadership in their departments. They must have that. When you have great training, great leadership, you have a peer support system, you have the recipes for a great department. When you have great departments, you have secured communities and that goes on and on and on. So the best thing I can leave you with that. So. And guys, if you're if you're still wondering, like, all right, I, I still don't know how to address this. I don't I still don't know what to say or how to say it. My suggestion, if you're talking to someone who's on the fence or if you're trying to win someone's support, if you're trying to make progress, you're going to get more if you have a civil discussion. Right. I mean, I I've been yelled at plenty of times in my lifetime, but I'll tell you that no matter how you say something to me, I'm listening to what you say, not how you say it. And one of the things that we have to remember, these are terrible events. They don't happen every single day. What does happen every single day are other types of shootings, right? Gang shooting, youth on youth shooting, right? Black on black shooting. Uh, there are a lot of people that die every single year. And you'll hear people say that they're going to use one event, but not focus on the other deaths that happen every single year because of things that could be prevented. You're going to hear politicians talking out of one side of their mouth saying that they, if only they could save one more life. Well, the goal is not to save one more life. It's to save all those kids' lives, right? To prevent these things. Um, What I'd recommend for you is to be well-read, be well-researched, have what you're going to say uh, 
backed up by actual facts. And you can go to the FBI Universal uh, Universal Crime Report, the UCR, and you can research, okay, how many people aged 14 to 21 die at the hands of another person by blunt force weapon, blade, you know, gun, that type of thing. Have all that information on your side. We're at a point right now where people are very passionate about what just happened, right? There's no doubt about it. Little kids died. That pisses me off. But I'm not going to let my anger towards something that I can't control, like towards that that shooter, affect the way that I'm going to talk to someone who I'm trying to bring on my side to actually create change. So my recommendation is, is be professional with the way that you talk about this, right? If you really want to get the message out there and create change, think about who the person is that you're talking to and how they're hearing you. Are they already painting you as a person that is a conspiracy theorist? Are they painting you as a person who has a hidden agenda the same way that a politician has an agenda? You know what I mean? Like what I'm telling you to do is to to be measured, to temper yourself, and you'd be amazed at the type of response you're going to get. But uh, man, Dave, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like mm. we we covered a lot of ground. Yep. Is there yeah. anything that we missed? I just want to speak to the citizens. Is that we should be demanding politics to stay out of law enforcement, teaching, and the military. Let these professionals do what they're trained to do. Politics aside, just let them identify problems, expose the problems, and fix the problems. No politics involved. We're fixing problems. So once you put politics, because when politics come in the door, also the questions about how much money is this going to cost us? And now you are tainting the recipe to fixing it. So we should, as civilians, demand from our politicians to stay out of those areas, but demand these people to be professional and to identify and fix things. If it costs X amount of money for a school in Texas to have retired police officers there, because when you get a retired police officer, you get so much bang for your buck because he already knows who the players are in town. He knows you know, something just happened that is, ain't right, you know? So we should demand professionals do professional things and allow, just let the teachers teach. That's what they love. That's mm -hmm. their passion. And that's their calling in life. Let them do what they want. And if you have certain educators who are confident in the training to carry a firearm and to know this is not a show and tell, you know, thing, this is see no evil, hear no evil, Keep it away, out of sight, and, you know, allow them. Because there's a lot of school teachers who are retired military, who have mm -hmm. special operations trainings and all that. So these are professionals. We trust them overseas. We should trust them here. It's the same thing in law enforcement. You trust me when I had a badge and a gun. Now them are retired. You don't trust me now? I mean, that's the thing about it. We should hold... Politicians accountable, especially for that one golden moment. Why did that kid just walk into a school? That should have never have happened. That one picture window. Now, guys, normally at the end of the podcast, I would say to my podcast guests, all right, well, where can people find you? But, you know, my buddy Dave, I'm not even using his last name in this podcast because 
Dave spent a career in, in law enforcement and he still, he still has connections and still works in certain places. So I'm going to respect his privacy, not say his name, but if you have any questions for Dave, I know Dave's a, a solid man, send them to me and I'll forward them to him. Uh, you can find my email on the Fieldcraft Survival website. It's just Estella at fieldcraftsurvival.com. You can message me on Instagram. I'll screenshot it, text message it to Dave and, uh, I'll, uh, hopefully have him get back to you. But Dave's not the only one with answers. Um, there are plenty of people out there like Dave who have great, great knowledge, firsthand knowledge. Um, you know, he has nothing to gain out of, out of sharing his thoughts. And I'll tell you that I, I trust his words. Um, there are a lot of people out there who I could have brought on to talk about this, but I wanted someone who was there uh, and who saw families grieving, right? Who will adamantly argue against those people that will say, well, it never happened. Well, I've got a buddy who was right there when it did. Um, so just my advice to you, if you're still listening, if you're wondering, just become highly educated on this topic. And as Dave mentioned, do not relent, right? Do not wait until the next one. Don't wait until our attention span or your attention span of two weeks makes you forget about this school shooting for the next one to happen before you get all fired up for a brief moment. If you're truly passionate about this change, stay on it uh, or else it's not going to happen. Any final thoughts, Dave? One last shout out. Yeah. For anybody listening, a shout out to all these conspiracy theorist people. You need to just shut up because you will do more harm to these parents than ever imagined. Just shut up with your theories and all this other stuff. Unless you have something good to say to bring to the table to fix it, then say it. But don't be coming up with these bizarre conspiracy theorists. You know, a madman entered a school building, killed innocent people, whether that happened in Colorado, Connecticut or Texas. So these conspiracy theorists that say these things, other Conspiracy theorists will have it and other people with mental health will haunt these families and you will bring more harm to these people than ever. So these parents are grieving the worst thing ever possible in their life, a loss of a child. No parent should ever have to go through that. So guys, you know what you have to do? Don't just listen to this and say, wow, there, there's a lot to process take something that we talked about here one thing and make a difference right implement something and uh hopefully that something will be what it takes to to stop the next one all right we've been at it for a while so dave thanks so much for coming on you got it no problem and uh guys thanks so much for listening mm -hmm.